This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Talking Dirty over at East Ruston Old Vicarage looking absolutely fabulous despite the fact that he spent the last half an hour running around his house trying to find a location where the internet works. Uh, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Well, thank you very much for that warm introduction. I mean, uh, you know, it's been a crazy morning, hasn't it? You're absolutely right. It's exactly half an hour spent running hither and yon. But here we are now. I think we've found... A little spot where the internet is somewhat stable. You are looking blooming and absolutely wonderful, Thordis. I have to say, Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen, you always do. But I love your jumper. And there is something very clever about the way you coordinate things. Because behind you, there's a painting. It's got exactly the same colours in the painting as you've got in your jumper. Or is that your favourite palette, I wonder? It, well, I think that might be it. But this painting, um, I'd love to say it's some top painter. Obviously, it doesn't look like it is. Don't we tell just... us it's too much information. I need to know that it's priceless. It is. Well, it is priceless because my partner and I did it on a rainy day. We just got some paints out and mucked about. And uh, and that was the end result. Anyway, less of that. Um, it, it looks to me a little bit as if you were carried away with something else. Anyway, never mind. As you say, enough of that, dear. <laughs> we have the most generous spirited, lovely, calm, laid back guest today who we've just been chatting away while we've sorted out our technical problems. Anja Leifenbach of the Money Saving Gardener book and, and YouTube channel. Also, Anya the Garden Fairy, which means there are two fairies on this podcast, the Thunder Fairy and the Garden Fairy. And we are delighted to have you on the podcast to talk about not only your new book, but your fabulous garden that you've created mostly by propagation. Before we get into all of that, do you have a middle name uh, alongside your other beautiful names? I do, I do. So first of all, thank you so much, guys. I enjoyed the house tour, um, Alan's house tour, and I love how colourful you are. I'm always wearing black because I see myself a bit like in the background of all the beautiful flowers that I grow. So I do have a middle name. My middle name is Monica. So it's Anja Monica Lautenbach and very well pronounced, you two. Thank we you. We've been practicing. I love the fact that Very you good. wear black to be a foil. My partner is absolutely determined to never really wear colours, and he always says that he's my foil. So I like that you're doing uh -huh. that with your plants. Do you know? I see myself a bit like a, a magician. You know, when you because I do lots of propagation, so it's a little bit like a, a bit of magic. You know, uh, dressed in a magician costume. And the, the propagation thing is very much the heart of what you've been doing on social media and obviously uh, the inspiration behind your, your book, which has so many tips in it to help any level of gardener. But I suppose particularly new gardeners realise what they can achieve by growing from seed, by taking cuttings, by layering all of these methods that you, you cover, some of which are really very advanced. So how long have you been gardening and when did your your journey, your propagation journey begin? 
Um, well, first of all, I always feel like apologizing to British people for teaching them how to garden um, <laughs> because I'm Polish. And as everybody knows, uh, British gardens and British people are the masters of creating amazing gardens and everything that comes with it. Um, but my love to propagation started when I was a little girl, um, which is now nearly 35 years ago. And that was back in Poland when I was growing up. My mom was addicted to propagation. We always had windowsills full of cuttings. Um, and I have a very funny story um, to tell when one of my friend's mom went to a spa and a very posh, beautiful uh, a spa with a glass house. And I came home with uh, pockets full of cuttings. <laughs> I wouldn't do it now and I wouldn't recommend to anyone, but I was pretty obsessed. <laughs> actually, actually, Anya, that's that's very true of a generation or two ago, you know, because people did that and they really felt that they weren't doing any harm if they took the odd little cutting. And I remember my grandmother and my father and mother, when we go and visit houses or gardens or things like that, I mean, there was always a cutting or two that came home in the pocket. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's yes. by no means, you know, it's no, by no means unusual. And it still goes on today. Yes, I think it's, you know, that's one of the things that I, I, I always raise awareness about because we always think, you know, oh, I just take a little cutting. If everybody would think this way, all the famous gardens would end up as a collection of dry sticks. So just bear that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Don't. When you think back to your, your childhood, are there plants you particularly remember having success with? You know, things that you grew and you're really excited about. Well, I was obsessed about houseplants. Um, you know, as a girl, um, I think I found all the dahlias and everything else pretty boring. Um, obviously, this is now a long time ago. <laughs> but I have a very strong um, connection to roses. My granny always grew roses. Um, bear in mind that I come from a different, completely different background. So my grandparents survived the war and the Second World, World War. And when they came back, um, and I'm kind of, I feel like I'm the connection to the previous generation because I lived, I lived that kind of, their trauma, uh, you know, after the war. So they came back and they grew the most amazing plants. I sometimes wonder where did they get them from? And they were all propagated because after the war, there was no garden centers. So roses were very close to my heart because my granny loved them. But I was obsessed about houseplants. Not so much now. I, I kill them. I neglect houseplants. <laughs> yeah, most of my collection of houseplants are ones that thrive on neglect because uh, I have no time for them anymore. So they have uh, to. No, I know where you're coming from on that front. Um, and roses, yeah. obviously, your garden, funnily enough, because, you know, you, you talk about Brits being, you know, having this iconic style. I mean, your garden, I feel, captures that that style with all of the lavender and the like billowing hedges of lavender and beautiful roses and hydrangeas, their pom-pom heads billowing in the background of your shots. So you've got a lot of those key British garden plants in your plot. Yes, I was very much influenced by um, my mother-in-law, who sadly... Um, her time came to an end, um, but I have propagated her garden. And I'm so glad I did mention in the book, I moved her, she was based in Durham. So he, she has created the most amazing garden. 
And there was a time of my life where I really struggled um, mentally. And that was the reason behind my garden. So she has noticed that I am obviously struggling. You know, I was away from home facing quite serious, serious challenges, life challenges. And to the point that I truly lost, um, lost um, motivation to, to, to get up in the morning. And she, seeing this, um, said, you must garden. You just must garden. And um, obviously what then happened, I went back to my roots. And the roots, even the word roots, has such a deep meaning to me because I went back to what my mom taught me, what my granny taught me. And I've started seeing propagation as the way of finding myself again, you know, finding purpose in life. And I moved her garden. It was almost like her garden on four wheels from Durham down south in form of cuttings. I was every trip. I was obsessed. I wanted to take as many cuttings as I possibly can to recreate her, to have her in our garden, which I have successfully done. Anna, that is something that resonates because um, in the garden here, I've got plants that were given to me by my grandmother and various other relatives and friends and everything else. And I think everybody does. If they've got a good garden, they look at it and they think that was plant was given to me by so-and-so. And, and it, it keeps memories alive. It's very important that actually. Yes. It's, do you know, I sometimes feel like horticulture and just, you know, the propagation, even the word propagation, you know, hardly ever used in daily language. Um sometimes um, is described dry and scientifically and people find it um, just as, as, a, as a science, something complicated. But actually, as we all know, gardeners, uh, uh, plants and propagation bring memories, emotions, tears, happiness, you know, legacy. There's so much close to our soul, to our heart and not just dry descriptions of um processes you know and and your book could not be further from dry descriptions of processes i mean it's full of lovely pictures but it's just the absolute uh the details you need to know and it makes it really straightforward and really easy for people to understand all kinds of propagation whether it's you know taking leaves off succulents sowing seeds like i mentioned layering all bases covered and i also think for the beginner gardener that this idea of knowing your plant before you grow it. I spent years, even though I was talking to now Alan every week on the radio, I spent years overlooking that idea of right plant, plant right place, understanding what a plant wants. So often we go, we see a pretty flower, we want to put it wherever it works in our garden rather than where it wants to grow. And people waste so much money, so much time, they get put off. So all of these key ideas, I think, are in your book to help people get onto that, on you know, gardening the right way, to start their journey in the most successful way possible. Yes, definitely. And I also think, um, you know, when we all go to those amazing gardens um, and we come home to our own, and we think, well, this is something that I will never achieve. You know, even when people go to Chelsea Flower Show um, or very established garden, not only the show gardens, but established gardens, they think this will take me decades to achieve and actually is out of my reach because I haven't got enough dis uh, disposable income where 
I have proven, and I'm sure many people will agree, that that's not the case. That plants, as you say, if planted in the right place, um, they will thrive. And it doesn't take that long. Initially, when you take cuttings or grow from seeds, obviously things take time. But actually the process is as enjoyable as the a, a final goal itself, which is a beautiful garden. And the sense of achievement, obviously. I mean, Alan can testify. And you do get a great sense of achievement. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you, Anna, because I. I. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. But there is. There is a but, and the but is that English gardeners, I think especially, are. Um, they're hypocritical in a way because they always want to grow the plants they can't grow. For instance, <laughs> I always wanted to grow the blue poppy. Um, blue poppies don't like my area Me because too. it's too dry and too warm. Um, and. The other plant that I would like to just say that I do grow quite successfully, which makes me feel quite proud, is um, Myosotidium hortensia, the Chatham Island forget-me-not. And I remember being at the Chelsea Flower Show and I said, uh, I was talking to one of the, there's a, a New Zealand um, gardener, garden designer. She had a garden. We were talking. She very kindly took the time out to talk to me. And I said, oh, she had a, a my, Chatham Island forget-me-not she had one on her stand and I said I grow that in Norfolk she said no you don't I said well yes I do and she said no you don't you can't it wouldn't grow in Norfolk and I said well I'm awfully sorry but I'm afraid it does and I walked away I just thought I'm not being told what I grow in my own garden thank you very much madam um <laughs> but these little things that you grow and you have success with and you have such thrill about having success with them Sometimes they're, they're a little bit transient. They don't stay because they're not in their ideal environment. And where the Chatham Island, forget me not, grows, it's on the Chatham Islands off the coast of New Zealand. And it's on a very sandy, seaweedy sort of soil. So you can get the kind of thing that it likes, but it's almost in permanent sea mist. You know, you get that fog that rolls in on the coast of the, on a sunny day. We get it here sometimes. We're a mile and a yes. half from the cold North Sea. And on, at the beginning of summer, you often get, the sea mist will roll in and it's like a cold, wet blanket over the top of you. So that's what Myosotidium, the Chatham Island forget-me-nots like. I don't like that, but I do manage to grow them fairly successfully. And they do occasionally in this garden get a little touch of sea mist. But it's a challenge. And all of horticulture is a challenge. And one thing that you said a little while ago, um, talking about growing plants from seed and all the rest of it, I remember I was with you, Thordis. We were walking around the garden here. Um, one of my sort of thoughts is that always remember that plants don't want to die. They want to live. And if you give them a fair chance, they will. Thordis and I were walking up the Clematis Walk one day and there's a cosmos that had fallen through the hedge and it half split the stem. Do you remember this, Thordis? I do, yeah. And we looked and where the, just about where the stem had split, there were adventitious roots coming out of the stem. So that plant was trying to put down roots again to save itself so it could actually flower produce seed and then it doesn't matter because i've done it i'll die but you know you watch those little things and it's oh. think that a plant doesn't want to die especially when you're taking cuttings but there are tips and knacks to it and i think you explain this wonderfully well in your book and i have to say that this book ladies and gentlemen i would recommend to anybody who wants to be um, a successful gardener because it takes me back to my my youth my grandma who taught me lots of the things that I know, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. Anya, congratulations. 
Oh, thank you, Alan. That's so sweet. So, so nice. You know, it means a lot to me because it is my first book. And this book um, means so much on many, on so many levels. Um, I started speaking English 16 years ago. Um, I worked for Mr. Mohammed Al-Fayed. So when I came to this country to uh, learn English, um, I was picked up by one of his bodyguards and he asked me, how was your journey? And I put my head down and I felt really embarrassed because at that point I already had degree in German and I was fl fluent in German, but I couldn't understand what he said. And the first two years, I think, was quite humiliating when you don't understand. So writing a book, 16 years later, holding this book written by me in, um, in English, horticultural book, means a huge amount to me. A huge amount. And as you... Oh, thank you. But, you know, as you said with this plant, um, how we I observe it all the time in the garden uh, when we underestimate plants, where we think we have to contribute so we the plants can succeed. The plants don't need it because they've got that potential in them. And I had a similar situation, which I thought of myself because I have been underestimated by many people for quite a while. Obviously, if you don't speak the language, you know, people underestimate you. But I obviously had this potential in me. I was able to write a book after 16 years of, of learning the language. So it's just, I feel really, really um, grateful that you uh, take the time to talk to me as well. <laughs> well, we're just plantaholics, so, so Anya, you know, so we'll talk about plants all day long if you let us <laughs> and isn't that as well Amazing. i think with, with propagation um you can love plants but i think there's like a whole extra level of horticultural appreciation when you can start propagating them and you know however that might be if you're really keen on propagation it's probably every single way you can possibly turn plants into other plants but um you you talk about like every way of of propagating how much propagation space do you have and what's your kind of garden your buckinghamshire garden like Anya? if one answer to um, that can i just oh, butt in and say oh. she doesn't have enough because nobody ever does <laughs> no that's true <laughs> absolutely do you know i always think i want to take over my neighbor's gardens <laughs> um well i started with i was lucky and unlucky in a way um when we arrived here uh we didn't have one single plant growing in the garden the dev developer who um, bought the house obviously wasn't a kin gardener and didn't like the plants because they got rid of e absolutely everything. Um, so it was a luxury in a way for me because I could fill this garden with all the propagated plants. But you get to the point um, where you run out of space. That's for sure, especially if you propagate like me. And, I, I, and I'm sure you will understand the greediness you know, there's always, I want, to, I want more plants. <laughs> um, so I've got half an acre, only, you know, compared to you, Alan, tiny, <laughs> tiny little garden, um, half an acre. Uh, but we also have a wildflower meadow and, you know, we keep bees. So it's, there's a bit of everything. Um, and windowsills, I'm assuming as well, uh, oh. judging from your book, a big believer of popping things into little bits of water and seeing if they'll root. Totally. Just the pleasure from, you know, as you mentioned, I think you develop a different relationship with plants when you propagate them. And there is something that books don't describe, which is the bond that you develop 
with a plant if you rescue it or if you propagate it. You know, when you see it from birth, you know, when you see the first tiny roots appearing, there must be something else. I, I truly feel it. I think the other thing that I feel is that um, because I've been doing this for such a long time, I, I grow plants that are not readily available. Um, and so I have to keep propagating them to keep them young, to keep them healthy. And I have a dianthus called Chumlifarin. And Chumlifarin is, is an old-fashioned um, mini carnation, if you like, quite tall growing, but small flowers. And the small flowers are randomly split, bright, bright red and, and mauve. It's a strange combination. It's almost like the flower of uh, the flag of Hong Kong, um, wow. purple and red. It's, it's very strange, but it's an unstable plant. And mm. I propagate this by cuttings to keep it going. And I've just got, I think, probably about 36 cuttings because like you, Anna, I'm greedy. You see, you, <laughs> you have a plant and you're looking after it and perhaps it suddenly looks a little bit unhealthy and a little bit, you know, tired or something. And I could see that this plant was on its way out. So I took every cutting I could and I've rooted them, and off we go again. But it's unstable in the fact that some of the shoots will have a plain mauve flower, and some will produce a plain red flower. So it's a very difficult thing to to sell to anybody. I mean, I put I put plants for sale on, on our plant stand when the garden's open, and people see it growing in the garden, and they want to buy it because it is unusual, and you don't see it in very many places. Um, but I have to wait for the cuttings to flower to prove that they are, you know, unstable like their mother. They got <laughs> or the other. So yes, it's a fascinating thing. And you do, you feel this almost um, compulsion to propagate the plants that, because you know that you can't get another one if you, if you lose it. Absolutely. But do you think it's a bit like, you know, this connects us to, to the previous generations, you know, because we, <laughs> I feel I am like the, 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 you know, if you look at it like a chain, you know, my, my mother-in-law is now gone, but I have all her knowledge. I captured it in the book. Um, I'm also a mom of the new generation. So I'm a kind of between. And, you know, you are the one uh, by your propagation. You, you've, you've got this power of keeping something alive, something so precious. And I almost feel like, you know, we, we need to keep going. We need to keep going and, and having well, all those plans. The other, the other power that we have is to tell the next generation some of these secrets. They're not secrets at all, but, you know, some of the ways, the techniques. I think it's important that they... They know these techniques because lots of, I mean, if you take horticulture today, for instance, and the way plants are produced on mammoth on a mammoth scale, there's nothing as satisfying about it at all. It's purely a commodity. It starts as a seed or cutting at one end and it goes through this intensive process with force feeding and heating and goodness knows what. And out at the other end pops something like a horrible poinsettia at Christmas time. Lordis <laughs> will laugh at this which looks completely unnatural and is unnatural, um, but it's just purely and simply a commodity. But the plants that we are talking about, the plants that we go, grow and we love in our gardens are much, much more um, meaningful to us and probably to other people. And it's it, your book, I think, is a fantastic way of actually getting those people to be interested in as many plants as possible. And when you go to, I mean, one of the things I always think myself, because like you, I said, I am greedy and I am greedy, and if I go to a garden centre and there's a plant that I'm growing in a container that I want to buy, I think, oh, this one looks very good. It's got flowers on it. And then I look at the base of it and I think, but there's not many cuttings. So I'll buy two and I buy one to put in the garden and the other one to chop up. And I just... <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> you agree? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's there's something so, um, first of all, there's something so satisfying and I'm pretty sure is related to all those, you know, our brain produces dopamine or whatever from, you know, it's back to the hunters gatherers, you know, when yeah. you cuttings yeah. and roots mean means surviving. And that's mm. why I realized that um, looking at, at, at roots, it just gives me this an enormous sense of accomplishment, satisfaction. Um, you know, you're in control, you're creating life, there's progress. All of, the, all, of the, all of those things that we get from, let's say, buying things. But the buying bit is very short-lived, where mm. propagation has got such a long lifespan when it comes to the positivity that you, you get uh, from, 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 from doing it. So absolutely, absolutely. I discovered this new plant well, it's called the um, uh, night flocks, but it's called Zaluzianskia. I think it's called Zaluzianskia ovata. I think it's very, you know, easy for me to pronounce because it's a, um, named after um, um, Eastern European botanist uh, Adam yeah. Zaluzianski, I think. And this plant is incredible. I I know quite a lot of plants, but I didn't know this one variety. And I bought like you. I bought this plant last year in in the garden center. And I propagated, I've got 15 now. Because I'm so keen on moths, this will feed my moths. So amazing. I'm, you know, feeling great. The reason it feeds your moths is because it is so swooningly sweetly scented in the evenings and at night. Um, it's, a, it's a modest little plant. I mean, it's got a small flower. And I think it's white with a touch of red on the edge. Um, oh, but it's just, you know, I could... The, the 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 feelings I get I get from there could be one flower and I, I only have a tiny greenhouse but there's one flower when that one flower opens yeah the place is filled with this most amazing scent and because we breed moths and butterflies I know the butterflies will be just like a, this will be like a magnet for, for for sorry for moths yeah but it's the most incredible plant. You know, I feel like giving it a hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, there's so many, there's so many plants that you can you can put in your garden for night flying insects. I mean, you you know, Nicotiana, white Nicotiana, oh. anything that's white and lightly coloured, they will seek out, especially if it's scented. Um, so you know, you, you we can encourage all these wonderful species into our garden, species of moth, species of butterflies, and many other insects and invertebrates. I mean, it's a great. I was having a great fun the other day looking at. My log pile, I've got a log pile. It, it's probably about 15 years old and the logs have all sort of crumbled away and they've grown moss and they've got other plants growing in them. Like there's, there's Japanese anemones in there. Um, and it was getting a little bit overrun by a, a very vigorous carex. I went in and I edited. So I got out lots of these things. But it's just something simple like four or five, six logs put together, put some earth in between them and just watch how it... It will metamorphosize. It will change. It will grow. It will become its own little environment. It is a fascinating thing, and I mean, you know, we can all have these little things in our garden to help wildlife in general. Um, and oh. taking cuttings and putting new plants into your garden is all about the same thing. It's all encouraging a better life, a better world, a better garden. Absolutely. I mean, creating habitats, um, and this is what I mentioned in my book as well, 
you know, creating habitats for wildlife is a money saving, it's a massive money saving aspect because you create so much, um, so much wildlife that will then long term help you to create a garden of your dreams. Um, you know, when, when the garden becomes a battlefield because you want to get rid of slugs and snails, you know, and people, people often ask me, what do you do with slugs and snails? I said, what do you mean what I do with them? I need them. I need my slugs and snails to feed my birds. Um, but then, you know, I, I came up with, um, with loads of new ideas because of the, I, I've got two nature boys and, and my husband is a beekeeper and a botanist, but a, a beekeeper and a butterfly and moth breeder. So I have learned from them a lot. And I take a torch at night and I walk around. Um, well, I used to, when the kids were little, not that I wanted, but they wanted it. And I started observing the garden from a different uh, seeing it from a different angle, almost like a secret life of a garden, because you see things that you never knew exist. And the fact that earthworms feed on grass cuttings and the slugs feed on grass cuttings, you only discover when you take a torch and go at night and you can mm. use it to your advantage and save money. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I spent a lot of my... Um, my time when my baby was very small watching videos on youtube watching a lot of charles dowding and things like just the big difference of clearing the old leaves away from things like brassicas so that the slugs don't get drawn to those i mean obviously they may still eat all your brassicas but the, the little sort of things you can do because you're right if you go out there and look at night you'll spot that they're munching away on those sort of decomposing leaves at the bottom of the plant and being enticed in so yeah a bit like grass cuttings and I, I feel so encouraged when people say they have nature boys when my little one I'm sort of hoping that as he grows up he's out there dragging me out to go and look at moths and slugs in the middle of the evening <laughs> yes Oh, it will. You know, it's amazing. I mean, we're very lucky. We've got um, I've at the bottom of my garden, we have an area of special scientific interest and outstanding natural beauty. We have um, one of the rarest butterflies that actually, in fact, this was the reason why we bought our house. When I say it to, pe to people, they can't believe it. So we bought the house because of the purple emperors. So if you know your butterflies, you will know that this is a very, very lucky place. And sometimes we see them. So purple emperors only come down from the top of the oak trees once a year. And we all lie down on the grass and we watch them. And some, there was one situation, my husband went to the woods and he ran back shouting, Anya, Anya. He shouted, so I thought he saw a dead body. Yeah. Honestly, I thought I will have to call the police. But I said, what happened? He said, I've seen it. I've seen it. I said, what? He said, purple emperor, purple emperor. So it's just, it's incredible how much nature you can attract and how beneficial it is, not, not only for your garden, also for your health. You know, that is marvellous. Now, I'm going to ask you something people are always asking me, and it's the most boring question ever, I'm sorry to say, but I want to know your answer to it because mine varies. But it's, what is your favourite plant? <laughs> oh well do you know it's like as, as you know it's like a, a flavor of the of of the month this yeah. this new plant i have mentioned you know this zaluzianska i i think this at the moment it's like i'm so intrigued by it you know um so that is yeah but it will you know if you ask me as you say if you ask me next week i will be like <gasps> i've i've seen this plant is amazing <laughs> <be something. laughs> 
we don't have the abundance of flowers that you have in the summer, but you have those jewels. I mean, at the moment for us, it's snowdrops and aconites and all the lovely early flowering things. And the early flowering shrubs, I mean, Daphne Balua, we've got out in the garden, we've got about, I don't know, 25 of them, I suppose, throughout the garden. The reason I have that many is because I decided that I was going to grow some from seed, which I did. I didn't get very many, about five, that's all. Um, and also propagate them from cuttings, but they are a devil to propagate. They're very, very difficult. They don't want to root, and it takes a very long time, two years before you get a plant oh. that you can use in the garden, which is a long time. And and somehow or other, it's people have stopped micropropping it. Um, they used mm. to do it through micropropagation because that was the easiest way of increasing it. Um, we shall see what happens, but I'm so glad, especially at this time of the year, from January through until April, we have this pervading, wonderful scent throughout the garden. Um, and, you know, wherever you go, you suddenly get a whiff of it. Or if not that, it's a winter flowering honeysuckle or it's sarcococca. And all those yes. kind of, yeah. you know, it just makes the winter gardens wonderful. What about that? A wonderful winter garden. And Alan, you're very lucky because yours, I'm assuming, didn't get hit hard by last winter. I know lots of people, I think. Possibly the, the one at the Cambridge University Botanic Garden. I haven't been this year. I know it got hit hard last year. So hopefully, yes. I don't know if it pulled yes. through. I finally, um, there's a, a garden nearby, and you probably have this, Anya, when you go for a walk in your local area, there are certain gardens you always pay attention to. There's a lovely garden. I've walked past it for four or five years, and I admire it all the time, but it has a fabulous Daphne. My partner always says, why on earth do they have that shrub there? It's right in front of their window. And I say, because it's amazing and it smells glorious at this time of year. Yes. Same conversation year in, year out. Finally saw the woman who gardens there and was able to say, I love your garden. It brings me so much joy. And what a fabulous Daphne. And she actually said, oh, it's always suckering. I'm sure I can give you one one day. Might be another four or five years till I see her again. But it was so nice to be able to share how happy her garden makes me and how wonderful yeah. her Daphne is. Oh, it's, isn't that amazing how, you know, gardens and plants connect us? Um, I had a really lovely story, which was actually, I was so pleased that um, I had this lovely feature in the Daily Telegraph and the journalist. It was I, that, I was told that, her, that. Can I just interrupt? I have to say, say to you, I, I read that article on Saturday morning. I think it was last Saturday. Um, and I immediately rang Thordis and I said, she's got double space spread it. It's brilliant. This is in the telegraph. So Thordis said, can you photograph it for me? And so I did. And I hope she could, but I, I photographed it and sent it to her so that she could actually read it. And he took yeah. literally photos of every little bit so that I could zoom in and read it all. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So that was a yeah, lovely article. And it really was. Yes, I was, you know, I, I messaged her later because she, you know, I, I'm so new to all of this. And um, I did not, you know, I, I did mention to a few people. I was once mentioned in the Daily Telegraph in the past. The mention was the size of a two pound coin. And I drove to the news agent so fast that I actually killed the pigeon on my way. As I was coming back with this newspaper, I looked on the side of the road. The pigeon was like, we have plenty of pigeons. I, you know, and I'm very wildlife friendly, but the feathers flew away. So when I went this time, I didn't know. I thought it was another feature, you know. So this was the this such a big, but she has chosen to mention the story which I shared with her about the roses. And it really was, you know, I get so many messages on Instagram of people, you know, someone said, can I come and visit? And I 
I'm quite careful because, you know, now with over a million followers, I've got quite a big following on, on Facebook. So over a million of, of people and I guess they're all lovely and friendly people, but I wouldn't necessarily want them to suddenly just appearing from behind the bushes. Um, and when people say, oh, I would love to meet you and I think I've seen you somewhere and I'm like a bit, uh, you know, it's going to be quite, um, quite scary. But this lady contacted me and she said, you know, I pay you whatever you want, which sounded a bit like, oh, what do you want me to do then? <laughs> <laughs> she said, I pay all the money of the world. I'm like, I'm not taking my clothes off just by the way. <laughs> and she said, just come to my garden. And if you could uh, propagate this rose, because, you know, and so she told me this whole story about her mom dying. And she was, she said, it, uh, at night, she said, my husband was asleep. And at night, I realized that the house is now sold. And tonight is the only one chance to go and get the roses. So he actually got up, they live in Windsor. And he got up in the middle of the night, drove to that place in Cotswolds, managed to get those roses from her mom's garden, which got sold. Quite a, an amazing, amazing uh, house. And um, she said, I've tried, but I failed in the past. And those roses mean so much to me. If you manage to, to propagate them, this will mean the world to me. Would you come to my garden and do it? And I said, oh, God, yeah, I must go do it. And at some point, I did go and... You know, I opened the, the gate, we, we chatted. It almost felt a bit like some sort of secret date um, <laughs> arranged on the internet. You know, I was coming in the back door, not far away from the uh, Windsor Castle, actually. But, you know, so the setting all beautiful. And then I, I just imagined this, you know, arriving in Windsor. I told my husband the address because I said, if I never come back, <laughs> just tell all my followers that that, that was the end of, of Anya. <laughs> But she was so pleased and she said, you know, told me that story. We actually, we were in tears, both of us. I get quite emotional. Um, you know, that's my ADHD sometimes makes me emotional. So we took the cuttings and I drove with them back home and I've got them still in that pot and they all rooted and the roses actually flowered. And I texted her and I said, we must do it together. So we must dismantle the pot you know, get those roses, those precious, precious roses. It was an amazing story. You know, I just thought, because I had moments where I thought maybe I should just stop what I'm doing. But those stories make me, they, they, the stories tell me what is my, my thing to do. You know, I want to do those things. I want to experience those stories. Yeah, it's, it, gardening is all about stories. That's something we really believe in uh, on uh, on this podcast and as gardeners. Um, we, I mean, we could probably talk uh, endlessly about all of your uh, all the things you mention in your your book. I know that you've got a few favourite plants in the book. Um, th I mean, things like straw flowers, which I adore. So I, I'm here in the Straw Flower Appreciation Society with you. There was also a beautiful little Tiarella I saw you mention, which I think was quite new yeah. to you, called Spring Symphony, which seemed lovely. I was very taken with that. Yeah, I love the Tiarella. I actually love the name. You know, there's yeah. th this... Uh, I love names of plants. You know, Tiarella. I can just see this beautiful lady with, um, you know... The other one is, um, which I grew from seeds, is Aristolochia. You know, Aristolochia. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it just... You can see this beautiful lady with this gorgeous dress, Aristolochia. <laughs> I, lo I love names it. names pets, actually. Alan, when you next get some more dogs or something, Tiarella. I mean, great name for a, a dog. Yeah. 
This, what's your dog oh. called? She's called Tiarella. She's known as Ella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go you know, it's go one, of those, one of those names like the royal family have when they say it's Prince Henry, but he will be known as Harry. And I could say that it's Tiarella, but she is known as Ella. <laughs> Do you know, I feel almost like, you know, when people when people show interest in a gardening and like, you know, people like me, for example, and say, oh, I really enjoyed this um, season. I would like to grow more. Is there anything I need to learn? And then they get this massive amount of information and they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Um, yeah. Simplifying things is uh, is, is, is my um policy um i also wanted to show you my trick with the hellebores if you yes. if we have the time yeah we Love definitely it. have the time um yeah hellebores so, are something that i know you're very keen on propagating well i just think that helle hellebores um you know we didn't have when i was growing up in poland we didn't because poland is so cold i don't think even hellebores would make it um so when i came to this country i was fascinated and i picked some from from the garden um and do you know, I could, I find them um, almost like they smile at me at this time of the year. You know, they've got this shy, um, they shy, I call them shy flowers, may, mainly because I don't know, know how to describe in English the kind of, you know, when they're facing the ground, you it's almost a, have to go on your own. I would say they are demure because they're not flaunting themselves. They're sort of being quiet and yes. hanging heads. A I bit like, like snowdrops, you know, they just kind yeah, of yeah. like, oh. You know, and then you have to take your time to actually see the real beauty. And I recommend that people go on their knees and they, they do it because when you look at the, you could just study them for hours and hours. But not many people know because people, um, you know, having them as cut flowers, they're not the, the most amazing vase here. But um, just for as an example, people um, pick them and as soon as they pick them, the hellebores wilt. And I know a very good trick, and I've got an example here because I've got a, I've got a knife, so I'm going to show show you how to do it. You basically need to cut the stem. You need to make a very shallow cut from the um, from the flower just back to the base of the stem. Two two little shallow cuts, and I get I don't know if you can show it to to your um, viewers, but this will really make <laughs> it will help them. Just a tiny little, you know, shallow, shallow little cut along yeah. just along the stem and put it in not hot water, but kind of a warm, lukewarm water. And they will stay for probably about two weeks um, because otherwise they will. So that's a good, really good thing to know, because hellebores brought into the house bring so much joy. Yeah, it really is. It really is lovely. And the other thing. I wanted to tell you, um, which is in my book as well, and I managed to get one from the garden. I grow hellebores from seeds. And again, just seeing the, just look at this. Isn't it just amazing when you see a hellebore and its the roots and the two little leaves, and this will probably flower following year. I find so much joy in just even looking at this gorgeous little seedling, you know, from think, my garden. I think that that is absolutely wonderful. And I'd just like to add one little thing. And that is that yeah. hellebore seedlings, if you let your hellebores self-seed in the garden, so the seedlings are one of the first seedlings that you will see popping up early in the year. And if you allow them to make their two, their cotyledons, their seed leaves, 
And as soon as they get, you know, putting out other leaves, you can gently lift them and pot them individually and grow them on until they're big enough to put where you want them to put. And it's one of the easiest and lovely free crops that you can get from your garden. And it comes at a time of the year when you will have time to look after them. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, you know, to to, to uh, end this, your, your, your story. So this is exactly a seedling that I have, one of the seedlings that I have found and I potted them up and they are fa fabulous gift that can yeah. be given to friends and family. And, you know, people sometimes say, well, but they don't come true to type because obviously they, they often don't, but they also do. They, they do come true to type in some cases. But I love that it's, you know, there's a surprise. Sometimes yeah. they have tiny little dots. Sometimes the 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 they different. Um, they turn out to be different shapes. But that's the whole thing behind uh, uh, propagation that the surprises and the satisfaction. So yeah, yeah. propagate hellebores, everybody. <laughs> the joy of propagation. The other thing we must fit in before we move on to the flomo section of the podcast is this fabulous thing. You've got all kinds of um little clever ways to bring all season interest to the garden because you said this thing that creating a garden is a bit like writing a a script for a, a theater show and you want the audience to be enchanted for the whole thing um which i thought was a lovely way of describing making your garden entertaining throughout every season and you created a dogwood display which was um, had multiple benefits one of them was you know you're taking you're cutting down bits of dogwood anyway to keep them fresh and vibrant make a display out of those stems and then they will hopefully some of them root and you'll have cuttings I mean that win 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 and it looked so lovely yeah. in your book the that was actually yes yeah I don't know if you can see that was uh, and you know I must tell you this is a very funny story so I I always come up with those uh, you know ideas and when the publisher came you know with a whole team of people standing there was an assistant there was the photographer with the camera and you know the book designer that so that shoot was quite a busy one and I said right they looked at this list that I sent them and they said oh what's this uh, a dogwood display a sticks in the I just described sticks in the pot. So they're like, what what sticks? And I said, oh, do you see this the the, the shrubs in the back back in the back of my garden? And they say, yeah. I said, well, so I'm going to put them in the pot, and they will look amazing. And I said, okay, they were, and I have actually never done it with that with this pot. So I said, oh my god, I really hope that this is going to look as I think it will. And I, okay, so let's all go. So we all walking, you know, they behind me with the camera, the team, the notebook. And as I started putting the dogwood in the pod, they were all, I mean, I, I was amazed as well. The lighting was perfect. So that the light was shining. This dogwood display looked amazing, truly amazing. And all of them went home. And they said, as soon as they left here, they started looking for dogwood to plant in their garden. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they came, obviously the dogwood rooted. And I said, and now at the end of the project, we have free plants, all, you know, basically use the waste. And I think when I look at this project, I think that was pretty genius. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. It's even better now I know the whole story. I've done that in, in pots. I used to make pots for Christmas to put on the on, on the doorstep, a welcoming pot, if you like. And we probably put something like a rooted holly in the in the middle, and we put dogwood around the edge, and I put ivy in as well, which I cut from uh, existing plants in the garden. You just push them in, and providing you look after them, I mean, 90% of them, by the time it got to April the following year, they had rooted. So, totally. yes, you're right. 
It's it's just so. Why don't we do more of this? It's so easy. Win win win. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you just I I operate on like ticking boxes um thing. So I just okay. How many boxes can certain things tick? When I you know every step, whatever I do, you know. Uh, good for the environment, good for the future, good for your pockets because you don't don't waste any money. And actually, there's a lot of bedding plants that are pretty hideous. So instead, sorry, sorry, bedding plants. <laughs> I mean, sometimes people bring all this hideous stuff in from and they pay for it. Where this is all free. And as Alan said, all in your garden, just put it in your pots and that's it. Yeah. yeah. I've got so many ideas from chatting to you, from reading your book. Uh, Flomo section of the podcast, I suppose we sort of touched on with the Tierra Spring Symphony because I saw that on your book and thought, oh, I don't have that. Maybe I should have that. Uh, Flomo being a fear of missing out we get about a flower or a plant. And aside from that, um, I've got a lot of Flomo at the moment because I'm trying very hard not to buy things. Um, I did have a bit of a dahlia slippage, but that was largely replacing things that I lost last winter and I might hopefully actually have the time to grow this coming season. But while I was looking through all of the wonderful things that you could buy, possibly bare root, I saw a plant that I hope Alan has or is going to get. And it is the hosta. Oh, I think I think my, my baby agrees, if you can hear him wailing in the background. The hosta, woo la la, which is a sport of the Empress Woo. Now, I have to dig out a photo of Alan with his two glorious and very large empresses at uh, one either side in a in a pot and him for scale to show how big they are and um is a lovely kind of glaucusy ma massive leaved hoster well there's a sport of Empress Wu, which has got that bluish green leaf, but with a sort of flash of lime green around the edge, a bit of variegation, and it looked fabulous. But also, the Empress will always have a place in my heart because of her role at East Ruston Old Vicarage. So I thought uh, it would be nice to have Wu La La as well. <laughs> Do you have it, Alan? You know, I think that's one of the cleverest names because, <laughs> yeah. you know, names, there are names that you remember and there are names that you instantly forget. <clears throat> and I don't think you'd ever forget Wu La La. I love oh, it. I know. I love it. <laughs> Me too. Such a good name. Do you have it yet, Alan? No, I don't. But I mean, that's I. Sh I shall by lunchtime. <laughs> um, Anya, where are you at with your flomo? Are, are there always things that you want to add to your garden? Yes, there was one. Do you know? It was one one um, dahlia that I actually uh, bought, but I lost it. And again, as Alan, you know, trying to keep it alive. And then I collected the seeds. I grew from seeds. They all turned out yellow. So not the dahlia. It was a dahlia called a new dahlia in in the UK. I think it's called the Night Silence. Oh, yes. And I had it. I bought it's, it. It's. Oh, did you? Yeah, it was so on that, my list so of naughty was... dahlias. Yeah, so that that's that. I mean, dahlias can be, you know, I I've noticed it, uh, like uh, roses. People love dahlias are, but uh, you know, dahlias are amazing. Some dahlias are amazing. So this night silence, um, which I sadly lost, and the other one, believe it or not, I don't have a jasmine in my garden. So I I actually just bought it. So just so people know, I do buy, and I also like to support. I need to mention as well that I do want to support all the growers, all the garden centers. So I do uh, tell people, go and buy what you need to buy because they need us as well. Uh, you know, I'm pretty self-sufficient, but jasmine is the, the common jasmine. I just, I just bought it, actually. I'm going to propagate. I bet. 
Well, no, you do do just hit hit something on the head there because I've got various jasmines that I grow in the garden here, and um, uh, I've forgotten the name of it now. Dear, oh dear. But there's one particular jasmine that comes from India, and it must be grown under glass. And I do grow it. It's not hugely periferous, but it, these lovely little cream trumpets it produces in summer and autumn, and it's absolutely terrific. And I always do I do my cuttings in cell trays, and I always do a tray of twelve because I know that I'm going to be asked for at least ten of those plants throughout the yeah. season. And it's just lovely to have them to to pass them on to other people. My I haven't got a flomo this week. I've got, but I've got something that I think pertains to Anya really because it's a plant called the pickerback plant and it's something called Tolmia mesensii. Now it looks a bit like a tiarella. Tiarella! (laughs) (laughs) So it looks like Ella but it has in the middle of the leaf it has a a, a little rosette which you can make a new plant from. It also produces runners and there's a little new plant at the end. Now, when I was a child, my grandmother grew this plant, but it was on a windowsill because it wouldn't have survived the winters we had then outside. And I bought one of these well, I don't know, four or five years ago and I planted it in a wood, woodland area. And I've been asked about it throughout the summer. So late last autumn, I did a tray of cuttings of that. And I'm so glad I did because we had some quite sharp frost here in the garden. I hope it will survive. But if it doesn't, I've got another one. So it's a pickerback plant. And it's just a lovely little plant. It's not shockingly vibrant. It's what you call a good background plant that it's there. You don't necessarily see it. It won't draw attention to itself. But if you look carefully, you'll see that it's more important than perhaps you realise. Oh, I love that. It's also just made me think that we started this off talking about how you wear clothes to be a foil to your plants. But you are so colourful in every way that uh you know it's it's almost like your clothes are a foil to you and your vibrance it has been such a wonderful opportunity (laughs) to sit down and talk to you not just about your book but your past your garden which you obviously love so much and um and I really hope I mean you basically I, I think we're allowed to say you kind of had to push the launch of your book back because it's been in such demand so I'm sure it's going to be a massive seller and hopefully just get loads and loads more people trying and succeeding with propagation and she might always wear black but she has what is your signature standout thing can you name it i don't know i tell you what it is it's your bracelet oh yeah oh, i thought you were gonna say a smile yes you see you see i noticed those throughout the book and i you know i was looking at the pictures in your book and i noticed every time there's this sudden vibrant pop of color as you put your hand towards a plant or you're making a cutting or you're doing whatever you're doing. And I just thought that's quite clever. Magician's assistant, she might be. And she's detracting the whole time with this lovely, vibrantly colored wrist. <laughs> oh, they, you know, they have a very deep meaning. The uh, one is black, white, uh, black and white. And the other one is very colorful. It's all, you know, it's the past is um, one day I might explain it all. Yeah, they mean a lot. They mean a lot. Oh. People often say, "How can you? How can you garden with your braces?" But they—they they just part of me, you know, yeah. just a bit of <laughs> your heart. <laughs> and yeah, it's been an absolute joy. The Money Saving Gardener is released tomorrow from when this podcast goes out, and everyone can go and get it in their local bookshop uh, and gift it and spread the joy of propagation and saving money. 
And it really is the most sensational book to give as a gift because it's the kind of book that just keeps on giving. Oh, thank you so much, guys. It's been a pleasure and I hope we will meet face to face at some point. I would I'm love sure that. we will, Anya. You're so lovely. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank and you. Until next time. Happy gardening, everybody. Definitely. Happy gardening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.